Hello and welcome to This Is Our Story. You are joined by me, Kieran, and my sister, Briar, as we are revisiting some of the stories from our youth and from our lives in general as we kind of head on this pathway, this journey of rediscovery, remembering of our past lives uh, in an attempt to kind of figure out who we are. Hopefully you will have listened to our intros so far, so we don't really want to have to rehash all of that, but we're just going to get straight into it. And this time around, we're going to be looking at what I have entitled The Early Years, The Early Years. Chapter one, we are starting from the very beginning. So to begin with, just to set the scene. So we both mentioned um, in in our last intro that we grew up in the far north of New Zealand, but just to kind of kind of hone in a little bit more specifically on where that was, we grew up in a place called the Bay of Islands, vaguely called the Bay of Islands. Not actually, to be more specific, we didn't grow up in, in the Bay of Islands, but we were quite close to that area. It's just the easiest reference point for those who, um, who aren't in that area. More specifically, though, we grew up in, in, at least in the very beginning, in a little town called Kaikohe. Kaikohe is a like really tiny... Uh, I suppose it's not really tiny in New Zealand terms, but generally it is a, a quite a small country-ish town of around about 4,000 people. Well, back Popul- then it was. Well, yeah, but it hasn't really changed a lot. The mm. town has definitely changed, but in terms of population, hasn't really changed since we grew up there, around about approximately 4,000 people, which is crazy that a, a town can hasn't really shrunk or grown well it, i guess it's not the most desirable place mostly like farmers <laughs> and stuff that live yeah. around there because it's so rural yeah we'll get to that so the, our earliest years were spent um in kaikoe and in the kind of immediate surroundings so uh just to kind of before we get into that though we want to set the scene a little bit in terms of when we came from so i i was born on uh april 5th 1985 and only just what i think people would call a millennial thank god i honestly have no idea about any of the details of my birth um surprisingly even though i was there i have no recollection (laughs) um however in new zealand we have these little books called plunket books i don't do they still have that i don't know I don't know if they still I'm have not sure, but, actually. Sure. Um, they're basically just a record uh, of like your birth and vaccinations and all this kind of shit. So Briar has somehow managed to hold on to it <laughs> all these years. Um, I have no idea. My mum asked me or our mum asked me, you know, to just check out, check my Plunkett book for um, information about my vaccinations. Yeah. I'm like, What's a Plunkett book? <laughs> yeah, very, very. <laughs> I far don't know how I came came about to having it. Actually, Mum must have given it to me at some point, and yeah. I've just happened to have found it again. <laughs> anyway, Brian has consulted the Bible slash Plunkett book um, on information on when we were born. Uh, I don't know if you just want to share that, Brian. Um, well, yours, Karen. You were born at seven o twelve in the morning. And and I've been a morning person ever since. Yeah, um, and you were. Eight pounds six ounces. Six it literally so, means nothing to me. Well, that's that's a decent size. And, <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> um, surprisingly, mine was three o nine in the morning, and I am not a morning person. So 
To all my that friends out there, just so you know, it's on record early. that I'm a decent size. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not go down that. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah, and I was 8.3 and a half pounds, so a bit smaller, <laughs> but similar. In and and what, time, what time were you born? 3.09. 3.09, and um, probably the last time you were a morning person. Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Any, any other little gems of knowledge in there? Um, not on those ones. I mean, the Plunkett book's full of really interesting oh, – I've only got mine. I haven't got Kieran's, but it's full of quite interesting things. Like I was supposedly quite a hungry baby, so the <laughs> maternity nurse um, actually – like, get this. This was the 80s, right? 1986 I was born. It suggests giving me Ribena because I was a hungry baby. So from Ribena. like – um, for anybody who's not aware, my, Ribena is like a grape juice. Yeah, but yeah. like concentrate, right? So it's a concentrate and you it's add water to stuff. it. It's very, very sweet. And I'm I'm appalled at the fact that the midwife was offering <laughs> is me. Is on note? On note. Yeah, it is. And it says, <laughs> Bri keeps well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can't believe that. What does that even mean, keeps well? Well, I guess just in like you, it's like what you'd put on a, um, a packet of food, or, or like <laughs> you can store yeah, her well. <laughs> uh, keeps weight easily, maybe I don't know. But, <laughs> but yeah, there's lots of good gems in here. Yeah, I was a good eater basically, and that hasn't changed. So mm. that's where that stemmed yep. from. <laughs> okay, so uh, now that we know, oh, so where where were we born? Because I think that's probably an important. Oh, we were born in a. An even smaller town, probably about, I don't know, maybe half an hour from Kaikui called Kawakawa. Some oh, people God. may know it as it is more famous now for the um, Huntervasa toilets that were built there. They're like yep. built out y- of Yes, you heard it, famous for toilets. Yes. <laughs> even more famous than it used to be, actually. Um, yeah. yeah, some some German, I think it's German. Yeah. Um, kind of architect, artist, he designed and built some very interesting toilet toilets, which I personally don't see the the attraction, it's, and I also don't know why people travel far and wide to see these toilets. But that's I guess it's story. just something different. But yeah, it's yeah, Kawakawa is a really tiny kind of pass through yeah, place that there's has nothing. a steam a steam train and a hospital, and that's it's kind of the big hospital for the whole area around Kaikoura and and Kirikiri. Yeah, the final which is the other actually. town that we grew up in. We'll get to that later. Uh, okay, so we're born in Kawakawa, obviously, like, say, what is it, 18 months apart? Well, and, 20. Okay, 20, fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as I'm aware, and I have no recollection of this, we our first couple of years we were in uh, around our grandparents' home. Mm. I don't know how long, I, honestly, I don't know how long that was. And we will be touching base with um, with mum at some point to kind of get a little more detail about those first couple of years. But I know that we spent a lot of time around our, our grandmother's house in a kind of little country spot called Pakaraka, which is like a midway point between some of the other little country towns. Would be a, uh, quite a big feature of the majority of our early years, actually, our mm. gran- being around our grandparents. And this is my mum's family, or our mum's family. Uh, we spent a lot of time with them. But yeah, from what I believe, we did spend quite a bit of time around there, and I think we may have been living there at some point. Yeah, we definitely were, just for those very early years. 
Um, and I only know this through photos. And there was a dog. I remember a dog. Jason. Jason. Um, was he a, a retriever? Labrador. Yeah, retriever or Labrador. Yeah. I think he was gone by the time I came along. It's only the, in terms of owning, so that would have been the first pet in our lives and one of in two dogs. End. Oh, was it two? Yeah, there was one later on in Kaikoui. I don't know if you remember. Hmm. Yeah, so we, I don't really know anything about that, as I've said <laughs> too many times already. But at some point, we moved into uh, um, into a house in Kaikoui, which must have been within the first five years of our lives. Mum and dad bought oh, this was, house. I think yeah. it was for around about, they bought this house for around 60, about 60000 mm. Crazy. A three-bedroom home for 60000 three-bedroom home on a large section uh, for for 60000 uh, that may sound cheap, but like when we, as we share a bit more about Kaikui, <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, yeah, I don't know if that was a, a steal or what. Anyway, uh, so this house, I don't know if you can paint the picture, Briar, of, of the house as you remember it, because all my earliest memories are of, of this house. Yeah, it's, it's still very vivid memories of being there. It was a green brick house, two story, that had like a garage underneath. Ugly as fuck. And, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> And then it had like a front garden where we sort of had our trampoline and then it had like a steep drop at the front. And then at the back of the house, it was like, uh, what do you call it? Retaining walls, sort of terraced, I think three, mm. yeah, three terraces and then more space above that. And then behind that was actually train tracks that used to run behind yeah, our property. It was property, a disused train. So mm. Kaikui, to give some context, Kaikui used to be a booming um, economical centre for the whole area. Uh, and so consequently, there were like train lines that went through in and out of, of the town that Kaikoui in that stage was already a town on decline. And um, I guess we can probably describe a little bit about um, my memories of it. Although it's a little bit hard to separate from how I see Kaikoui now, but mm. uh, it's uh, at that stage, it was quite a mixed town of um, fam, like families and lower socioeconomic. Oh, I don't know. I don't really know the words to describe it. It was very mixed, so a little bit of between people who are kind of maybe middle class and then the general um, middle income families and lower socioeconomic families. Not so many in the higher bracket of earners because a lot of those people were more likely to be found over in Kirikiri, which is about 20 minutes away on the coast. But Kaikoua, it was a little bit, at, even at that stage in the 90s, was getting starting to get quite run down and starting to feel a little bit kind of rough and a little bit unsafe. But for us, when we were young, you know, we didn't notice any of those things at all. No. But I do remember having a lot of my earliest memories of adventure <clears throat> were walking down those train tracks and just walking as far as I dared, which wasn't very far at all, I don't think, because mm. there was a tunnel. I remember there was a train tunnel that I was too mm. scared to walk through because it was, it was very dark. <laughs> But that, that's so cool, like back in the day that we were able just to go and do that. Like I don't even ever remember telling mum, oh, we're going on the train tracks because I'm pretty sure we weren't allowed on them. I don't think so. No. I think we had some friends. I remember walking down with friends yeah. um, at one point. Actually, on, on the topic of earliest memories, what is your earliest memory? Hmm. Um, there's some real hazy stuff. I have lots of memories from that house in Kaikoui, but I, I still remember being pretty young and walking – on the back of the farm where we used to live at grandma's house to go swim in the river. Uh I think in reality, it wasn't that far. There was a river just down sort of the back Mm -hmm. of their house, but I have 
I mean, I must have been pretty young. I remember sitting on a blanket on the stony river, like on the edge there and going for swims. Yeah. But yeah, I have quite a few memories from the Kaikui house too. Yeah, I mean, like my my first memory that I have is the two of us in a pram. Because mum and dad had this old side-by-side pram. Yes. Ugly and brown. Yes. Um, And she used to push us us in the sun. And I have a very clear memory of us being in the pram together, uh, walking down the road down from our house in Kaikui. Past that little bush. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know why I remember that. It's just really strange what you there. remember and then other things mm. that you don't remember at all. Uh, so what do you remember what we did in our free time at that stage? Well, yeah, I mean, we just explored. Like, across the road, there was you, Karen, had, who was ended up being your best friend. And we used to go, again, I don't ever remember there being supervision. Like, I don't remember mum mm. walking us across the road to get to their house. But it was a very busy main highway that went in the front of our house. And we'd go over to their house and we'd explore the bush that was next to their house. We'd stay there for like hours. We'd have dinner and bath with these. There was, Mm -hmm. I think there's three of them. Mm -hmm. I have memories of being in the bath with (laughs) the three of them and us two. I don't know how we fit into that. And it was a small bath too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So yeah, lots of adventuring freely, freely adventuring, which is, you know, every kid wants that sort of uh, childhood, being able to do that. That's yeah, and I think, like, going back to this, obviously the topic of what, what what we're talking about here, you know, doing everything in hindsight, I've always retained this love of adventure, this mm, desire to just go out without any plan and just see the world. And I think it began yeah. at this young age. I don't know if this – I think – I don't know if I it was innate. I think we didn't have um, – I, I reckon it's because we didn't have many toys. You know, we didn't have the latest toys, and mum and dad didn't value those things. And it was, you know, we were – told basically if you're bored I'll find something for you to do so we would go off and play and find things to do so actually yeah, it was pretty think, cool to be um, able because I mean when we started going to school um, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit more detail but that was probably the only time we became aware of things that we didn't have so yeah we didn't grow up with I don't ever remember having toys before we went to school um, mm. before the school years it was all about being – it was outdoors and swimming and, yeah, like you already said, swimming in rivers and going um, exploring in the bush and stuff. But when we say back, bush, it was though, like a, a tiny copse of trees. Yeah. <laughs> it was like tiny. <laughs> well, when you're that small, though, it feels yeah, like a it bush. It was huge. But uh, looking back, I I still value that for, like, when I have kids, you know, it's I love that we were able to just go and explore and how kids should be, really, you know, making up their own fun. Yeah, how, I don't know. That? I did become very aware of the fact that – the, the kids that I was meeting did have toys, though, and then I didn't. Oh, yeah. Because when I we do remember school, we were yes. given this basket. I don't know if you remember this basket of old hand-me-down toys that someone maybe from the church that mum and dad were part of or something. I don't remember who it was. But it was literally a basket full of just old shitty toys <laughs> <laughs> that had come from somewhere. And I I grew up, well, for years, I thought that a Transformer was just like a, a half-made um truck but in reality the actual toy was basically it was half of a toy because it was just broken and and i had no (laughs) idea (laughs) and i but i do remember very clearly in that kaikoe house at some point holding up a dandelion to the sky and blowing it away and wishing for a transformer (laughs) (laughs) so I, i was kind of aware 
at that young age of uh, things that I wanted and things that I probably wouldn't get. Uh, yeah, Mum and dad definitely didn't buy us toys, although I do remember very clearly getting bought a bike. And that was a quite an important part of those early years for me yep, because it I just enabled me to too. explore even more. And I had a, a little BMX yeah. That was. I think I got it for my birthday, and I don't remember which birthday, but I was pretty young. Well, we used and to take the bikes down to the pump track. Do you remember? Yeah. So the in Kaikoura, they had this little um, dirt bike track, which at the time was must was so scary for me. <laughs> I, I was I, as much as I loved adventuring, I was also a very cautious boy. I did not take any risks, and I quite reserved. I've kind of been fighting this um, my whole life since then. I kind of take after my mum in that regard because uh, mum and we'll, we'll talk about this more later but is generally quite a risk averse person and um very nervous about those type of activities and she was definitely nervous about us doing or me doing things like beer mixing um <laughs> but yeah i was way too scared to go off jumps and things but yeah there were very in kaiko is a very quiet town in general so very very few things to do mm. but um like we already said like there's i didn't really notice it at that time uh, that there wasn't a lot to do. One key event, though, that I do remember uh, from that time, it must have been early 90s, very early 90s, was a science fair that came to Kaikoura, the tra a travelling science fair. Mm -hmm. And this was, like, mind-blowing for me at the time because it was showing off these all these kind of new technologies that were on show. I don't remember anything, really, from the science fair except for one particular thing where they were showing off these video calling devices. They were massive, so maybe like a meter high. It looked but almost like an ATM, that kind of size. And there were two of them. And then you could look at it. It had a tiny screen, probably about the size of an ATM screen, to be honest. And you would, you're on video talking, and then the other ATM-sized machine was on the opposite side, like literally back-to-back. And it was the shittiest video quality I've ever seen. But at but the time, amazing I was like, when you, oh, my yeah. God, that's incredible. It blew my mind that I could see someone on a screen, even though they're like two feet away. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was pretty pretty amazing at the time. Mm. But we, we were a very tech-free house. So to see anything um, like that was pretty amazing. Yeah, because we didn't even have a TV growing up. No, I mean – TVs in the early 90s are pretty rudimentary anyway, so I don't think we're necessarily yeah. – and, and in New Zealand, there were like two channels, I think, yeah. at yeah. that stage. So we weren't really missing out on a lot. But I, uh, I still remember going to like my friends' houses, you know, like after school and stuff, and they had a TV, and I'd just be glued to it for hours until I got picked up. Yeah. I don't – like sometimes when people talk about these cartoons from the 90s and – have these fond memories of watching um, cartoons. I don't have any of that, obviously. I, I can't mm. really relate. And I prob probably only just, well, I did discover cartoons much later in life. Um, but yours would have been more comic books and stuff, those characters. Yeah, I guess. Like, I I don't know when I first got into Asterix, but I don't think it was that early. But like, even I mean, like just, foot rot flats and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that was a bit later on. But just to kind of keep the conversation going on a little bit I keep it moving we're one of the very important factors I think for us was the people that we grew up around like literally around so our neighbors and I think that this is quite important part of our mm. development and how we saw the world and how we saw the people in it 
so I remember very clearly we had we had neighbor John on yes. our on our left and his wife who I don't remember. No. I don't remember her name at all. It was only ever neighbor John that was important. Yeah. Who was a very kind of kindly gentleman, classic kind of granddad material. Mum and dad were very, very trusting of both him and his wife because we would spend a lot of time mm. there. Like after school, I remember they mm. would look after us if they had to. Uh, I don't remember much about it, about them, but the only clear memory I have is of burying our first yes. pet. Mm. Um, and he, he was the one who found, found yeah. Snow Brown. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> that was Briars, by the way. <laughs> we had Snow Brown and Will Scarlet <laughs> was my cat. There was uh, even a song about Snow Brown. I will get to that. It's, it's a particularly embarrassing part. Of my childhood. But, yeah, so we had these two cats. I tried to always be creative in, in the names that I gave my pets. So Will Scarlet, as in the character from Robin Hood. I didn't like the ones who were the main characters. It always had to be one of the supporting acts. Which, which I wonder was, where you got that from. says something about me, actually. I've never been a leading man. It's all about the, <laughs> the guys who were in the background. I wonder where you... Had you read that book or something? Oh, yeah. Like, like I've st- been reading stories, re- like really interested in reading books and things from a very young age. Um, but I'll, I'll get around to that a little bit later when we start talking about school. Uh, but, yeah, so we had neighbor John, and he was lovely and white. I don't know if that's important, but in terms of context, yeah, classic mm. grand, white granddad material. On the right, on the other side, we had uh, – Quite the contrast. Very, very contrasting – um, group of people. We had a family, a Maori family. I don't remember how many there were. There was quite there a seemed, few kids. There seemed to be a lot of people coming and going from the house all the time. It was a, a quite like an immediate family and then extended family, I think, also lived there. And I just remember all the little kids were just running around. And I very clearly remember mum and dad thinking they were quite feral. Um, yes. because they they you know they would run around without their clothes on or just running around not fully dressed and just being loud and but I, we used to, we used to chat time. with them over the fence though because I have a vivid memory one time I must have still been quite young and the little one of the little girls said to me say the f word and I said it <laughs> and you straight away <laughs> running inside to throw me under the bus and go mom mom Briar swore <laughs> so that's the uh, kind of kids they were like I wouldn't have even it also is the kind of kid that I was, was. too <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was always been I, the I, like we never would have heard language like that in our household or the people we were around so I probably just said it because she told me to which also has been very much my personality. I'm, I'm mm. probably a bit more of a follower and maybe just wanting to, you know, make friends. So I just did what she said and then I got my mouth washed out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I got my mouth washed out with soap, actually. Yeah. Um, and it took me many, many years into my adulthood before I could say the F word again. <laughs> and, <laughs> and even now then I it say it with weird. reckless abandon. Yes. <laughs> but it was, it was just funny because mum and dad, I remember, were – not keen on us talking to them at all. Um, and so we, from that very young age, we had a very us and them type mentality. And it, I, I don't think mum would ever say, mum and dad would ever say that it was about, say, Māori people. It was just them. But at the same time, because we were so young, it was kind of setting uh, yeah. some stereotypes for us. And it wasn't the, 
<laughs> it wasn't the best role role model or way to teach us about growing up literally next to people who are very different from ourselves in terms of lifestyle. I don't think I don't think anything well at least from my childhood memories that anything really bad happened there like there wasn't huge yeah. drama that I remember or anything dangerous that happened. They were just very they just lived a very different life from mm. us and we were being taught basically that we don't associate with them because they're viewed as unsafe. I mean, unless there was stuff going on that we just didn't really know, obviously, we were too young to understand. Because like you say, there was a lot of people coming and going. So yeah. maybe, you know, there was yeah. stuff going on. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, it was an interesting experience in hindsight, uh, looking back at that. Because in, in reality, Kaikoue was a, a large majority of the population in Kaikoue was Māori and and low, lower socioeconomic as well. And we, from a very young age, were being only in circles that were not those circles. So from... I guess you could call us, we were probably a middle-class family there, right? Yeah. Because mum worked in the local GP surgery. She worked there for many years. As, as um, a nurse. Yeah. And dad was a plasterer at the time, I think. Oh, cl- no, cleaner. Um, he had a cleaning business. Oh, that's right, yes. And so we were probably one of the, you know, the white families in that area that were probably doing a lot better than so many other families in that area at that time. Yeah, but, I, like, it was a missed opportunity on mum and dad's part because mm. I think I held a lot of those ideas about Māori people and lower socioeconomic, the, the lower socioeconomic class from those times and uh we may get into this later on but there are some very strong views about people from kaikoue um it's very a lot of stereotypes exist about those types of people in new zealand and they've been very very hard to break and in fact maybe impossible to break just the the middle to upper white class have some very strong ideas about Mm. the lower socioeconomic class and it's a big issue in new zealand um and we were kind of making that worse in a sense because not only was it us separating from them it's also teaching them that we we are furthering the divide from both sides so Um, i wonder with the with all of that in mind i wonder where it or how it came about that mum and dad decided to foster children which yeah um, so this is a big part of our we may years. be able to clarify this when we when we chat yeah, to her about but, it but um so basically what happened just to explain um mum and dad decided to take in a couple or at first it was just one guy was it george who was first or was the others i remember george so uh, the young guy george i don't know the backstory there so we have to clarify but i, I believe he I don't know if he, I know he worked with dad. I don't know if this happened before or after. Oh, okay. As, a, in, as part of I the, think, and he was only 16. I know that. Yeah. So he come from came from a troubled background and just wanted to help. They, mum and dad wanted to help him out. And um, that kind of went on for actually a little while. I don't, in, I don't know how long it was in years, but it was quite an extended period of time. And at the same time, for a, for a short period of time, they also had two or three others um but well but remember george um had a baby with a girl and they ended up living with us for a while ah uh, right right um, yeah because yeah it was um a very kind of for mum and dad 
from what we've already said, right, they already had these ideas of of the us and them, but then to bring them in, into our home. Yeah. And I think it was probably that religious aspect as well was a big part for them. So they maybe maybe they felt like they were ticking a box, like we've done. Yeah, done it was our that, bit. but it's that charitable side. And my, my, like mum and dad, as much as you know, they have their faults as every human does. They are ha, have been very charitable people, mm. uh, and I've I've definitely taken on some of those aspects into who I am as well. Just the fact that they they love to help other people out or welcome mm. people into their home. That's been a very big part of our lives mm. growing up. And I think is that kind of that Christian charity uh, that. I don't, I don't want to use the word obligation, but it's just part of being um, a quote-unquote good Christian is just trying to help others. And it was just part of that. And uh, so these people came into our, our homes, very different lives, very kind of rough. And you imagine with people who have been fostered, it's because they've they've gone through a lot of shit in their lives. And we come from this basically quote-unquote perfect white middle-class family Mm. Uh, which hadn't been exposed to anything. Um, it would be interesting to not that this would ever happen, but to um, to talk to them and see their perspective yeah. on what it was like for them coming into our family. Yeah, but I mean, it it gave us it exposed mm. you and I to some of multi part of parts of multi culture we had no idea about. Uh, that was the time when we first was it an auntie or or mother was it the mother. Anyway, we went to a tangi, a, a Maori. Yeah, it was. I think it was the mother of one of the girls that. Um, yeah, so we were quite us. young then, and that was yeah. our first experience. And to be honest, possibly my only experience of a tangi, mm. uh, which for those who haven't experienced, is a very intense, um, very intense moment. Uh, just the way that Maori people grieve. I, as an adult, I really respect it and i really value that really value that experience in hindsight but at the time i was just like mm. <laughs> it was so much to take in people wailing um and seeing the body spending time with the body that that was a very part, important part of that and we just obviously many times don't do that in western culture no. so th- this was like a really interesting time kind of learning about race we were taking on all these things about yeah, race and but what we wouldn't understand now is racism as well right but mm. kind of soft racism because it wasn't an overt uh we don't like you i never mm. ever heard that no. or it might it was just like the the gentle stuff the gentle racism that kind of sneaks into everyday life yeah. like walking down the street and seeing a big guy who looked a little bit rough and then mum might have pulling us closer and or crossing mm. the road and those yeah. types of things that uh, I think we're just really kind of compounded on over the years. Mm. Yeah. And Kaikaui probably did have actually quite a lot of gang, you know, because I do remember seeing, yeah. and that's probably why, you know, mum was maybe a bit more cautious. Yeah. But like you say, subconsciously that kind of stuff impacts you, you know, without even realising. Yeah. It's just ingrained. So I just wanted to get into talking about the school years kind of briefly about uh, these are, I know, particularly important for me because I became quite an academic person or I've become someone who definitely has been drawn to study and, and learning and reading and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that this was kind of, it came about at this this early stage. 
So I remember we went to a school, it was called Kaikwe West School, and very, um, very mixed school, I think, in terms of demographic. But at the same time, it was, I remember it being probably a lot of Māori children there, um, a mm-hmm. lot of children who were also lower socioeconomic in terms of background. And I don't think that really featured for me at all at that time. And that's the great thing about school is you don't really notice those things as much. Although, in hindsight, they probably did exist. And I, th- I think I do remember very clearly we had a tuck shop where you could buy mm-hmm. buy your pies and buy your chips and all those types of things, all those really unhealthy things that aren't allowed in schools anymore. Not that uh, we ever got pocket money to, to get well, there. Well, we, we, we did every now and then because what would happen is – I would have the boys try and try and get money out of me, not bullying money out of me, but trying to get me to buy them pies and things. And in hindsight, it's probably because they didn't have money of their own or mm. lunch of their own. I just wouldn't have seen those things as a kid. No. Uh, but I was very uh, anxious about making friends, I remember. So I had one friend, Oliver, from across the road. And I was Who always... It's probably worth mentioning that Oliver was one of the sons of the doctor's that worked uh, at the surgery is it's very insular uh, life as, um, that we had. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was, you know, quite selective probably on our parents' behalf, you know, who who we used to hang yeah, out with. He was the, the suitable friend, the yes. suitable white middle to upper class friend uh, for us mm. to hang out with. But, yeah, we spent a lot of time together and we would walk to school every day. Uh, but, yeah, he, so we were both always trying to impress I remember this very clearly, trying to impress people, literally, and like him and I would plan how we were going to impress the kids at school, like with what we wore or our hairstyles, <laughs> because back then it was when <laughs> I, I haven't really noticed this in kids these days, but it was all about big hair back back then. It was kind <laughs> of that crossover between the 80s and 90s, right? So I do remember one day using shitloads of, of hairspray and, and the foam stuff, and then making our hair and like really big and kind of slicking it back and oh, God, it must've looked ridiculous and <laughs> <laughs> looking back. But um, I, I very clearly remember that um, <laughs> one of the guys that we were trying to impress is like, Oh, I really like your hair, Karen. Oh, I don't like Oliver's though. <laughs> and I don't, I just, even, I feel a little bit guilty because I remember the thrill of getting accepted for my hairstyle <laughs> over my friend. <laughs> Even now. Um, but, yeah, probably this – I remember this boy was probably trying to get money out of me to go to the tuck shop. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do remember very clearly those first years just getting really bored because I just – it wasn't exciting enough for me. It was just, you know I, – I, I was quite ahead um, academically when I was a kid, and in those first years I believe I was in the top percentile for reading – um, in New Zealand, and I was at age seven. I think I was reading at a fourteen-year-old level. So I was. I think I was, I was reading same. Reader's Digest while everyone else was reading The Hungry Caterpillar. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine, it's no surprise I was getting a little bored. <laughs> I think I was the same too, because um, I read and read and read. And what's interesting is, as an adult, like I can't remember the last time I read a book, which is weird. You'd think that I'd you know carry that through but i don't know yeah don't really i don't uh, maybe it's this day and age i just don't have the patience it's not instant enough for me yeah i mean i don't i don't really have too much to say to be honest about 
the school years, except for probably the other major thing to talk about would be the bullying aspect. And I think that had a big effect on my development as a kid because yeah. I, di- I did get bullied quite a lot. And it was probably only really silly stuff. And it was just mostly mostly exclusion. And I wasn't a very confident child. And so when Oliver wasn't around, it was when it was just me, I was just it was literally just me. <laughs> I don't I don't remember making friends very easily. And um always trying to get people's well not trying to get people's attention. I do remember I approval maybe. I was definitely seeking approval and I would do silly things in order to get attention and it just gave, it was always negative attention and it just never worked out for me in the end. Mm. Um and that kind of kind of hits home for me a little bit because a large I think a large part of my life has been that trying to gain approval and validation from those around me and sometimes being a personality or a character that I'm not in order to get that attention or approval or validation and um and it's just uh it's just interesting to see see who those kind of characteristics in me now and um and what I was back then because it's kind of similar just in a different context yeah, I mean, I was very much the same, also bullied a lot, but I think mine was probably later on, not in those very early years. Um, and I have the same thing, like sort of get a buzz when you sort of, you seek that approval and you get it and you think, oh, like that feels good. Mm. But I can't remember. So we did move schools when we were still quite young to Pakaraka Primary, but I don't know. Yeah, that was, Can you remember uh, so we, why? we basically moved house from what I remember. Um, I, now, I don't know in which order this happened, but uh, we moved, I think we moved to Kirikiri, from Kaikoué to Kirikiri, and they didn't want to send us to the local school, and mm. I, I don't know, it's a little bit hazy in terms of, of the, the timeline then, or maybe maybe we were still in Kaikoué at that time, but yeah, we did shift mm. out to the school in Pakaraka, which was a very typical country school. Very and, small. Yeah, very small and we were only there for maybe a couple of years maybe mm. and i have very my my memories are very kind of dark of that time because i was bullied quite a lot and mm. uh i kind of made an arch nemesis at that time Did you? <laughs> um, there was one particular boy who used to bully me constantly and it just kind of made me more and more shy more and more self-conscious and it was right in that time where i where a lot of kids are learning who, about who they are and and kind of setting in certain characteristics. And I definitely became quite reclusive. I don't remember any friends from that time. Uh, mm. I do remember doing well with my schoolwork, but I remember writing – I started writing stories at that time, mm. and I would write stories that were very dark. And I do remember I, I wrote something about – I think it was a war story I wrote and I still remember weirdly I remember the picture that I drew anyway like many bo- young boys I became really fascinated about war and around that time and I read because I had such a high reading level I was reading all this um, historical stuff about the war specifically World War Two, and I started writing war stories and stories about Gallipoli and I do remember writing a very gory vivid a uh, story about people dying and in very gruesome ways. And I do Which remember the teacher. Quite intense bringing, for a primary <laughs> school child. Yeah, I do remember my, my our parents being called in to 
see, talk to the teacher about this because they were concerned. <laughs> um, but I had a very active imagination. I don't think I wasn't reading inappropriate stuff at that age. It was just my imagination was all over the place, just from all the books. So I don't know. I don't know how that came about. But you know, I've always had a pretty good imagination that was kind of birthed in that time. Mm. But, yeah, not, not a lot of great memories from that time at, at school. I don't know if you remember much about that. I do, actually, and I remember you getting bullied. I couldn't remember that it was just one person, but I remember it being about your hair colour. Being oh, yeah, I had, a, I had very red hair. Mm. Yeah, it was quite bright when you were younger. It was quite yeah. a lot darker now. But I also had I had a wart on my toe. And so, oh, yes, that's right. You and get it my off greatest fear was <laughs> swimming day because then people would see this wart because that, they already knew about it, but as soon as they saw it again, it was like they were running away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Kids can oh, be God, cruel. so cruel. Yeah. I have lots of memories from there, actually, but um, sort of neither here nor there. Like when I got bullied, it wasn't until the next school we went to but um I have memories of like I mean this must have been early 90s I remember writing two stories because I used to love writing stories but mine was probably more like fantasy based things or horse related maybe but I have memories of friends there and um, one girl who I spoke to you before about this um she, she must have been 11. I think she was a bit older than me. Um, she ended up committing suicide, which is crazy for an 11-year-old. From what I remember, she had an argument with her parents and she went to her room and jumped off the top bunk with a, a scarf or something around her neck. And I remember at that time, like, I don't know, when you're like 10 years old, it's like you don't know how to grieve, like it's not even real. And I remember just feeling so out of it, like, it did this really happen? I can't even remember her name, actually. Um, I just remember did the feeling. Did anybody talk to you about it? No. I have Not no recollection. Right. No, I have no recollection of anyone checking in to be like, are you okay? And, and mum and, and dad weren't the type of people to broach awkward yeah. topics. And maybe they and that, yeah, This is they a kind of a consistent theme for both mm-hmm. of us um, throughout our lives is that yeah, our, our parents have, Avoid I don't know, <laughs> yeah, they, they just don't talk about things that are difficult to talk about. And th- I know that we are not alone in this. This is not an uncommon issue with parents of our generation. Uh, I think the next generation will probably have a different experience. Uh, but many parents of that, of that t- time um, really struggle to talk about the tricky stuff. Yeah. So I, it was at this time I remember we spent a lot of time with mum's mum, grandma, mm. and she would pick us up from Pakaraka. That was when we started going back to her house after mm. school. And mum, this, I don't want to get too much into the detail because it's very complicated, but mum and her mum have a very interesting relationship. She is grandma, grandma King. She was not a very motherly type. And I think we immediately sensed that she <laughs> didn't really like us having us around, but she was no. trying to be the good grandmother mm. and she would pick us up from school and we would go back to her house and then we would start watching cartoons. And this is probably the first time that we really had access to cartoons. Um, mm. and we would watch them just for hours on, on end. And she just didn't know how to deal with us. <laughs> no, but I still, I, like I have memories of her. Um, playing her opera music very loud on her, oh, yes. um, what do you call it? The 
what do you call well, it? That, on, like the records? Yeah, the records. Yeah, vinyls. Yeah, yeah, vinyls. Yeah. And it would be very loud and she'd sit in her chair with her glasses on reading her, her book and we just had to figure out what we were going to do with our time there. She didn't really yeah. want anything to do with us, to be honest. Well, she was quite nervous because she had uh, bad legs, legs right? Yeah. I don't remember why. I think it was her veins. She had, um, I don't know if it was spider veins or thrombosis. So if they get knocked, basically they bleed yeah. and bleed a lot. So she didn't want um, us knocking her legs. And we knew that from very early on, you did not sort of run around her feet. or So she just kind of stayed clear, but I don't know if it was – her project, projecting her feelings on us about how her relationship with her daughter, our mum, you know, because they had a bit of a taut relationship. Mm. So I don't yeah, know. It was actually, was. it was awkward all over. There was just mm. so much awkwardness in that space. And um, we didn't know, we didn't understand it. But even at that age, I think we understood that it wasn't comfortable. Oh, there was, yeah, we there was no, there was no familial kind feelings except from, from grandpa or, you know, our step granddad basically uh he, he was good with us perhaps in hindsight a little bit creepy i don't know <laughs> he was definitely creepy <laughs> um and and there's definitely some feelings there from on mum's side and um towards him as well some some resentment there and she didn't trust him well even uh, we didn't pick up on it at the time but we just liked the fact well, that he no spent i did time with us. you wouldn't but i did because every time we went there he would always kiss me on the cheek and same with mum and she would push me in front of herself so that I bore the brunt of his kisses on the cheeks Yeah, Ugh, and his little creepy lips. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and okay. so we won't say would, too much about would, that because she would dart um, past me as I, um, <laughs> as I got yeah, it was a bit of a thing. Yeah. Um, I guess this kind of brings up the, like if we probably like head towards this topic of the family, mum's family, uh, just as a bit of a way of background, mum came from a quite a well-off family. Who are, they're an old family from that area, the far north of New Zealand. They've they would have been there for generations and have kind of been linked to the early settlers of New Zealand. So quite well respected overall, and they haven't really moved away from the area. And so we had a lot of so they were kind of wealthy landowners back in the day. Less so kind of on the decline at, when we came about. Um, but we did grow up spending a lot of time with mum's uh, family, the cousins, the her her auntie, who we, we now call grandma. Uh, but this is probably where we learned more about what it's like to be a functioning family just by being involved with the, the extended family. So not necessarily mum's immediate family, her, like grandma, grandma King, because that was just always awkward. But with the wider family, it felt very much like um, how a big family operates, yeah, including all feel. the drama. And, but at mm. the same time, we had, you know, there was lots of great big Christmas events. And mm. uh, it was, as kids, it was amazing. But mum, I know, struggled with that because she wasn't comfortable with those big family dynamics because her family, immediate family situation, I think, um, on reflection, you know, she just didn't know how to cope with that much familiarity and the dirtiness. and But the fact... Like you know, when in a big family, it's it's messy, and that's mm. often the way that it is. But they all love each other, so they just kind of get on with it. And it was always like that. It was constant drama, but constant mm. love and affection at the same time, um, which I love. I love about them, and they're great. Uh, but mum didn't know how to cope with that. She just didn't un understand it because it was just so different from her experience. And 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 mum is quite a reserved person anyway. 
Um, I don't know if that's just what she is naturally or a, a kind of a But when you hear stories about of, her upbringing, you can understand yes, why she is yep. the way she is. So yeah, and we, we we've only heard it too much retrospectively. Into that here, yeah. but, but yes, there, there is a complicated backstory there. Uh, and but her, yeah, we, her I do father have great... Sorry. From, remember, her father was from South Africa. He yep. um, immigrated here. And we... I have a few memories of him, but he died when we were quite young. And yep. then... My mum's stepdad came into it and he was the sort of creepy one. But he actually spent a lot of time with us, though, when grandma didn't. You yeah. know, he used to play marbles with us all the time. He'd take us to go feed the chickens. We'd walk down on the farm. You know, we'd go see the turkeys. And, you know, he was the one actually that did all that stuff with us. Yeah. And then, and for at least for a few years, though, we, we did spend a lot of time with the extended family, with the the big get togethers and, and dinners and Christmas mm. parties and trips out on, cause we, they were out in, in Pakaraka and that air, general area with, and they all had big farms. And we, I guess this continued my love of, of adventure because we, we would go out for hours. There were rivers and waterfalls on the back of the farm. And I remember spending a lot of time doing, going out with, uh, well, his cousin, I guess, but we'd just call him uncle. And we spent a lot of time with them and I, I learned a lot about farm life and being around animals and and it's I think it's very important especially for you I think mm. very important part of your development and what you love now definitely came from those from those years I don't know if you mm. just want to touch on that well yeah like you said we spent a lot of time on the farm like I have memories docking lambs and actually um, docking cutting off tails yeah days. and and actually eating the tails we used to put them on the open fire burn no, up I, was, the I don't wool. believe i was brave enough to do that but oh just so the good smell though. was awful <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> but yeah i think must have been school holidays and it was probably a way for my parents to or our parents to sort of get rid of us for the day while they were working and it would be you know lambing season or whatever and we'd just go help out on the farm and we loved it it was such a good time and and our uncles and aunties were so accommodating and you know let us be a part of that and I think that really influenced um like you're saying my love of animals and particularly horses horses have been a big part of my life since I was very young one of our aunties she used to take me out on the farm and ride her horse and that was probably one of my earliest maybe not the earliest memory of riding but it was a big part of um you know, my upbringing, every school holidays, I'd be like, can I go, you know, spend the day with Auntie Suzanne? And, yeah, she'd take, take me out all the time. And mm. I used to get lessons and, yeah. So that's probably where it sort of sparked that love of horses for me. And eventually I did get my first pony, which lived on uh, Grandma Lubbock's farm. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, I think for me those years were really important because – what I do remember is going to grandma's house after after school and because grandma wasn't looking after us, just mm. walking on the farm by myself because by that by that stage, I wasn't really keen to hang out with you. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I would walk off onto the farm on my own and just explore as, as far as I could get away with mm. um, or what was safe. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just the, I have a real love for open spaces now as an adult. And that is definitely from those from those early years for sure. Yeah. Just the the love of getting out into nature and just walking, uh, not necessarily with a destination in mind, just 
yeah, it, their love of exploring. And I, I used to read a lot of stories about explorers, uh, and I wanted to be an explorer. Um, and I was very disappointed, I remember, to, to find out that there's very little in the world that hasn't been um, explored already. I think um, as a family, we valued exploring gen- in general because we used to go for walks. You know, even when we lived in Kaikui in town, like in the evenings in the summertime, mm. we would just go after dinner, we'd go for a walk into town and we'd go get an ice cream and we'd just stroll and just walk around and explore. We used to do it on the farm on the weekends with mum and dad. Go walk, take a picnic and go walking on the farm and set yeah. up, you know, by the river. It was, I mean, amazing memories of, you know, doing those things as kids. Yeah. And, I mean, at some point, though, and this this happened a little bit later on, uh, we just stopped going to see the family so much. There was yeah. a lot of family drama that was going on that uh, specifically mum didn't want to be a part of, uh, and I don't. I don't really know, and I don't think it was any particular event that happened, but we just, I remember, stopped going to the Christmas gatherings, uh, and we just barely saw the family. Which for us as kids actually was quite hard, because they were the only family we had, you know. And we're we're talking like, they lived so close to where we were Mm. at that time, right? Only 10 minutes down the road, if that. And to not see them, and And for them being such an important part of our lives, and, and development and I I know that I grew up from that point on so not understanding it but it was just a fact of life but not having any real connection to family or a family to fall back on you know a lot of people who go up through life with a large extended family are very I mean I don't I don't want to overgeneralize but there's always someone there that they can fall back on generally if you have that large extended family because it's just as messy as it gets, generally they're there to look after each other, and and we didn't have that. Yeah. Uh, it was only much later, like I'm talking the last couple of years, that I experienced that again, and I realised just what I'd been missing out on. Um, yeah. So it's 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 a bit sad, uh, but that's just one of those um, family dynamic things that were a bit complex, which we can delve into la- later on. But just kind of want to move on a little bit to something else that was that has become or that became a massive part of both of our lives and that's the church life because that really began for us in these early years when we were still living in Kaikoue. Uh I don't know if you remember anything about that church that mum and dad were a part of. Uh, very vaguely so I think I must have been quite young when they moved on from that church. Um, I remember mum yeah. used to play piano I used to oh, yeah. Yeah, she used to do the music and I remember hearing about some because there was a bit of drama with that church and it kind of became a little bit cultish. Mm. This is from their telling, so obviously Well, it's still like that today. Yeah, it's just the, they had a, some very controlling people who were in charge of it and it kind of got worse over time and I think mum and dad saw the writing on the the wall, so to speak, and decided to get out before things really turn south which is ironic though that people within church are aware of things becoming yes. cult-like because when you're on the outside of a church looking in it's like the whole it thing all, is a cult yes, right? yeah <laughs> so it was really weird to think of it in that in those terms but mm. um that was our first experiences w- with church were very early on and so it was just always a factor in our lives that we went to church every sunday completely mm. normal i don't think there was ever really a time in our lives that we didn't no. do that no and um, there was very, very, very few times where we wouldn't go, you know, if we were away 
you know, on holiday, but we were there every Sunday, week after week. It was not something that you took time off from, you know, it was, yeah. Yeah. My and dad was very dedicated. Yeah. And it kind of became a, a bigger part of our lives later on when we moved, eventually moved to Kitty Kitty. Which became basically our home base and what I would consider now as being my hometown. Mm. I don't know how old we were. Around nine or ten, I was. I think I yeah. was when um, um, when I moved there. So that would have been mid nineties. And Kitty Kitty is a very different town from Kaikoura. They're so close together mm. and yet polar opposites of each other. Kitty Kitty is the and still is probably the preeminent town in the region. It's a it's a, an economic base that has there's a lot of money there and that comes mostly from orchards and a lot of farms in the area, dairy farms. Uh, so it is very much a farming horticultural uh, center for the the far north. And it's just a, there's been a lot of money flowing in and out from that. I wouldn't say a lot of money stays in the area, but in terms of demographics, definitely it's a place that you'll find more well-off people. And because it's right on the water, on the coast, it's a beautiful spot and it mm. attracts people who have money. And often people would move move up from other parts of New Zealand in, in order to have that quiet um, coastal life. And you, would, um, you wouldn't really see even the same kind of houses and stuff you'd see in Kaikoui, for instance. You know, you could no. definitely see the wealth of the area even at that time in the 90s. And I think population-wise, we're talking like 6,000 maybe, approximately. Like it's, still, it's still quite a small town, uh, which would increase in size over the summer every year because of um, tourist, tourism. And it's always been a stopover point for tourists going up to the Cape, the, the tip of New Zealand. But, yeah, still, still, still a small town. Very much a small town in many, many ways, but a thriving town. And it always felt, in terms of little towns, it always felt like it was a place that was up and coming and, and always moving. In contrast to Kaikoua, which was all in decline. Yeah, and going nowhere. Uh, yeah, going literally going nowhere, you know, a place where shops were closing all the time because people mm. were moving away. And I think we were part of that wave. Yeah, Mum and Dad saw that kind of happening and... We kind of got out. It's probably a good time to take a break, actually. Uh, and we will thank you for tuning in. And I hope, <laughs> I hope there's been something of interest in there. Uh, we have covered. And we will get into some more nitty gritty stuff. It's just, yeah, giving a picture, I think, of yeah, where we've come from. And... All right. So um, join us next time as we kind of delve into the teenage years and uh, really get into some of the nitty gritty stuff. In really into the school life, church life, which were very much intertwined. Yeah, stay tuned for that. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.